Welcome to the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast. I'm Simon Delarue, and uh, this week we are looking into the tax review phase two, the policy letter being brought by Policy and Resources to be debated next week, uh, starting on Wednesday and lasting at least uh, three days. It's a policy letter that, as I say, is called the tax review, but my guest today is somebody who would prefer it to be called the tax and social security review because uh, that is very much uh, his area of expertise. Indeed, he is the Employment and Social Security President, Deputy Peter Roffey. Welcome to you. Thank you very much, Simon. Now, the arguments, uh, I said the same thing to mm. Deputy Peter Fairbrush yesterday, that the, the arguments in favour of the policy review uh, we have heard a few times now, but obviously there's been a lot of movement in this debate with the publication of two uh, very substantial alternatives, one from Deputy Parkinson, one from Deputy Soulsby and their uh, teams of deputies behind them. Um can I begin by asking you for your response, your assessment of those supposed alternatives to uh, what's being proposed by your group? Sure. Well, first of all, I disagree that they are substantive alternatives because they're anything but. Uh, uh, the, let, let's start with Deputy Parkinson's. He, he wants to preempt what the changes in um, corporation tax would be and bring in uh, some form of territorial tax. Well, I know from soundings from the finance industry that there's fairly significant concerns over that approach because most of our competitors did not have that type of uh, tax system. And uh, at the very least, there ought to be widespread consultation about that possibility before it's actually decided upon but the point is that inside the package from PNR, there was anyway reform of the um, corporate tax system to raise circa 20 million, which world leading experts have told us is about as much as you can raise in that way while remaining competitive in the current environment. In five years' time, if the whole world rules change about corporate tax, that may be different. But at the moment, they say try and raise more than that, and you will really risk the competitiveness of the, of the Guernsey economy. And in particular, let's not beat around the bush, the, the Guernsey finance sector, which is crucial to our economy. So the plan at the moment was to do that and to have detailed proposals for signing off by the states this year. All the Deputy Parkinson Amendment does is actually, first of all, push back that element of, of, of cash raising further in order to have the review. But then it doesn't do anything else. And we know that circa £20 million is nowhere near enough to fill the black hole in the public finances that has been created by our changing demographics. And that is exactly what's created. It is in common with just about everywhere else. What we're facing up to here is demographic changes. The deputy, oh, sorry, come in on that. Uh, then I will well, well, yeah. first of all, I was saying substantial um, alternatives mm. on the basis that they sweep away most of your proposals and come in with a whole raft of their own. Well, they do. Uh, and sweeping away in particular, as far as Deputy Parkinson is concerned, obviously you've introduced me saying I'm uh, Employment and Social Security uh, President. What it, his does is absolutely sweep away all of the reforms in relation to Social Security. So he leaves in place a 10-year plan, which we'll see for the next eight years, everybody's Social Security um, contributions going up year in, year out for the next eight years on the current basis, which means it's not particularly fair on the lower earners or the middle earners, but they will see themselves paying more every year in Social Security payments for the next eight years because that's what the states have agreed. And until it's reformed and replaced with an alternative plan, that's what stays in place. Deputy Parkinson totally removes the proposal to, to do anything about that. 
And you mentioned about the territorial tax being um, not as normal elsewhere mm. as he has made out. He did say, and I haven't checked this personally, yeah. so I'm taking his word for this, that 30 of 37 OECD countries yeah, yeah. have a territorial tax. Yeah, absolutely. Of some form, he said, yeah. Um, our finance industry is not competing with the UK, France or the USA by and large. They are competing with other offshore finance centres that do not, or, or niche finance centres that do not not have this sort of taxation but i'm not ruling that out by november this year pnr if it's unamended will be coming back not with plans for years to come but with firm plans to change our corporate uh, tax system and if that point after consultation proper consultation soundings with our competitors because we are also we cooperate to a degree with people at places like jersey and the isle of man it, it then uh, that a, a, a territorial element to our taxes is deemed to be sensible then fine we'll go for that we'll actually get there quicker under the proposals on amended than we would under deputy parkinson's um, amendment so fundamentally your objection to deputy parkinson's amendment is is not about what it does but what it doesn't do it does yeah it doesn't do enough it only does corporate tax corporate tax should only be a part of it it completely removes the vital changes in my view to social security it does not even half a job it does a quarter of a job in in tackling the issues that we're facing. That brings us neatly to the other uh, significant amendment uh, coming along from Deputy uh, Heidi Soulsby, backed by uh, Deputy Gavin St Pierre and others. Um, that does include the uh, social security uh, reform, which you are so passionate about. So, yep. do you find that considerably more palatable? Well, I like the fact that it retains those reforms, but I'm blowed if I know how they're going to be financed under her scheme, because really there's almost no revenue raising proposals at all. Because if I can just explain, the, the, the approved Social Security reforms approved a couple of years ago in 2021, uh, that 10-year plan, if you like, would raise an extra £34 million a year. That was put in place because the government actually said, if you don't do that sort of thing, the scheme's going to run out of money, you'll have no money to pay pensions. The, the package in the reformed package for Social Security only raises about 19 million uh, because it brings in these allowances, which makes it much fairer, but obviously that comes at a cost. So the quid pro quo is that there was going to be a, some sort of transfer of money across from general revenue to um, Social Security, which would be affordable if we had a GST, but I don't see how it's going to be affordable under the Soulsby uh, St. Pierre Amendment because there's virtually no uh, revenue raising measures in there whatsoever it is almost like a Cersei it is let's set up a committee to look at the size of government another committee to look at corporate taxation it's setting up of committees and then a few footling little um, uh, revenue raising measures alongside so it really is kicking this down the road and I'm quite surprised because I was in the last assembly when Deputy St Pierre was in charge of the review of public finances and he kept saying don't do it through fruitless little measures. We need something fundamental. And don't keep kicking it down the road. This is something we need to address sooner rather than later. So I'm, I'm really quite surprised to see this amendment come forward with his name on it. Uh, one of the elements, uh, one of the numbers that features uh, prominently in their analysis is this £19 million that can be saved by reducing um, our uh, assumption of what we're going to spend yeah. on capital expenditure. And that, that's a, um, it's a very significant sum. Um, at the same time, it's also sort of theoretical. But 
um, as I made the point to Deputy Fairbrush yesterday, if the nightmare scenario, the two minutes to midnight, uh, all, the, all that rhetoric is pointing towards this 100 million deficit by 2040, um, that is in itself sort of theoretical and, a, and yep. an accounting um, exercise, an accounting prediction. Um, if if this is a way to make that uh, scenario less bad to the tune of 19 million, then that is significant, isn't it? It is, but how do we achieve it? We achieve it by by uh, neglecting our infrastructure, basically. I mean, let me take just one example. Um, the states set aside a significant sum of money for affordable housing. That was on the basis of the previous predictions of how much affordable housing we would need. Uh, already, the amount they've set aside will not be enough to actually deliver that because of inflation and construction and house prices. And, you know, the tenders for the GHA are coming back higher than was predicted two or three years ago when that money was put aside. Next month, we're going to be considering a housing needs indicator led by Deputy uh, de Sommere, another supporter of this amendment, that says, actually, that's not nearly enough affordable housing. We need now between 700 and 800 uh, houses over the next five years. To do that, we will need a massive injection of capital funding. And yet, here we are saying we ought to knock £19 million a year off our presumed capital expenditure. Uh, that is on top, that affordable housing on top of what has been shameful neglect of our infrastructure over the last 10 or 20 years by successive states. We need to address that. Uh, you know, we, and we don't address that by saying we should be spending less than predicted on, on, on capital expenditure. But we're not in a position to be able to spend that money if we wanted to, are we? Because there's just not enough capacity in um, yeah. the organisation of government or the or the industry to actually get it done. So if we're assuming that's uh, what has to be addressed, that is really what has to be addressed. If you can, you should, it's perverse to sit here and say we really, in order to maintain our basic infrastructure, because if you don't, you decline as a society, just like a company that doesn't invest in its capital requirements uh, declines this is the amount we need to spend. We're failing to do it because we haven't got the capacity, so we'll just aim to spend less. You don't. You tackle that capacity issue. But in particular case of the affordable housing, of course, that's slightly different because the capacity is then delivered by our development partners in the GHA. But yeah, as far as you know, harbours, schools, hospitals, whatever, uh, uh, and all sorts of other areas. We need to address that capacity issue, not not just say, well, we'll continue to underinvest in our capital estates. Um, there are well. Before I move on from those two, are there anything else? Any other observations you wanted to make about those? Those. Well, two I think the other one is it, it, it's really good popular stuff to say let's cut down revenue expenditure as well, which is the other part, I suppose, of the the Salisbury Amendment. Uh, there are savings to be made in, in in the public sector, but those savings need to be set against the underlying drivers for greater spending, uh, and that is largely demographic. And um, I, I, I think. We can theoretically say, let's save so much per year on, on, on the revenue account. I don't expect that to actually come to fruition. Whatever the vote is at the end of this, this month, it may make us feel, say, OK, that's £9 million paid to save this year and more next year because we're continually going to reduce the size of our state. Don't forget, Guernsey's state is probably the small, uh, barring Sark, I guess, uh, the smallest of any comparable territory. We spend less of our GDP uh, than Jersey or the Isle of Man. We spend less per head of population on public services than either Jersey or the Isle of Man. It's going to be really difficult to cut it further. And when we do, the protests, if we do, the protests will be just as large as the protests against GST. 
We saw recently, I mean, the HSC, I thought it was an appalling decision, but because of their financial pressures, they decided to start charging cancer patients for out-of-hours uh, out treatment at A&E. Within about two or three days, there was a, 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 a um, petition of 5,000 people. And I'm not surprised. If I wasn't a politician, I would have signed that. But that shows the sort of issues that you're going to be facing when you start to actually try and reduce overall revenue spending in the face of uh, an ageing population, which is actually driving spending the other way. As a member of the Tax Review Panel, you've been working on this for quite some time. Mm. Um, do you feel that the job of communicating to the public the urgency of this has been adequate? I mean, we've we've certainly carried many, many stories in our yeah. pages about it, um, about, about the, what the situation is from your point of view, from the point of view of state's treasurer, etc. Um, and yet, you know, there we were last night at Beaux-Ajour, um, only 19 members of the public, along with four deputies, um, three members of the media, five staff. Um, it's not huge numbers. And uh, one of the questions was about, oh, why are you spending £90 million on a pool marina, which you at length described as uh, an erroneous assumption. That's not actually the case. Um, how do you get enough information out there for people to see this the way you see it? I, I think it would be always seen as arrogant to say that we've done enough communication. I mean, you know, P&R, obviously, in the driving seat over this, it's their proposals. I've helped formulate them as a member of their tax and social security working party. Um, but to be fair, I think however much communication be done here, people do hear what they tend to want to hear. And that is, you can describe ab nauseum the reality of the situation and what needs to be done to fix it. If somebody else comes along and says, uh, there must be another way, there's lots of waste in the system, uh, there are different taxes, we don't have to do this, they have to say that once and it has immediate resonance in the island. Uh, however, many times you try and reinforce the reality of the situation, and I'm here today trying to do that, uh, I think it's really hard to get that message heard because it's a message understandably people don't want to hear i don't want to hear it you know i don't want to hear it as an islander i hate the idea of gst i don't want to hear it as a politician i'm probably doing my political career in inverted commas countless damage in actually uh nailing my collar to this mast but i think the only message i need to keep repeating is that reality is reality it is being driven by the demographics even if the any of the amendments are passed this next week it's not going to change the situation. In two or three years' time, with the barrel would just be slightly further over Niagara Falls, and either at the end of this house, or more likely it will be kicked into the next house, somebody's going to have to pick this up, and there aren't easy answers. On my way to that meeting at Beaux-Ajour last night, I was thinking to myself um, that if any one of the six panel members were likely to waver after the publication of uh, Deputy Soulsby's amendment, it might be yourself, but you're making it very clear that's clearly not the case. No, I, I've made clear throughout that my, I have been open-minded. I've not been open-minded about the fact that we need to raise the sort of revenues that we're talking about you're, you're quite right whether it would be 100 million deficit in 2040 or whether it be 70 or 130 i i don't you know forecasts are forecasts it would depend on all sorts of factors but the fact that we're facing a deficit of many tens of millions of pounds caused by demographic changes i have absolutely no doubt about i was open-minded about seeing alternatives i was quite expecting somebody to bring forward an alternative that related to higher income related taxes but nobody's decided to bring that forward um, so I, yeah, I until all the amendments were published, I was you know making clear to PNR, I'm on board, but I am only on board to the extent that I don't think we got all the wisdom in the world, and I'm happy to look at alternative ideas. 
The alternatives I've seen do nothing to really fundamentally tackle the issue in front of me, and therefore I, I can't go with them. I'm interested that you raised that uh, issue over income tax. It, it, it does seem to be uh, a, an element of all of this that, that, that is perceived as sacrosanct. We've got a 20% rate. It's a nice round figure. Nobody wants yeah. to interfere with that, although you are actually bringing in a new band or you're proposing to yep. at 15% for those earning up to £30,000. Well, for everybody, for, uh, but for the, their income up to 30000 Sorry, for the first, yes. Yeah, so yeah. it's a universal uh, yeah. credit, effectively, yeah, yeah. Or, or, yeah. Uh, compared to this current situation. Um and yet the social security um, changes that are going to occur also now becoming, um, not means, to, is means tested the right phrase, being effectively banded um, or an allowance being introduced mm-hmm. anyway for the first time. Um, it, uh, but, but nevertheless, it's going to overall bring in more money because you're putting up to 8.5% yeah. and a lot of the employers' contributions are going to go up. It, that's really changing um, social security contributions to be a bit more like the way income tax works. It's very similar to putting up income tax, isn't it? Except without sort of scaring the horses. Well, uh, yeah, social security contributions were heading towards 8% anyway under the existing scheme. So it's only marginally higher what, what, what we're moving to than it has already been approved by the states. Um, so to that extent, that that's already uh, baked into the system, if you like. So so if the Parkinson Amendment succeeded, that's not going to stop Social Security payments going up in that way. Uh, yes, except that all of the money raised for Social Security, none of it can be spent on hospitals or schools or police or whatever, or, or, or bicycle hoops or anything else. It, it, it is closer to a taxation than it used to be. And that, that system actually, I think, it moved away from a pure insurance scheme, probably back at the time of zero ten when Social Security contributions used to be capped at the estimate of what an individual's requirements towards their own uh, contributions needed to be. Um, so, it, it, yes, it's a bit of a quasi-tax, but it's very much, it's not a tax. It's hypothecated completely to spend it on the, the things that Social Security will do. It will go into the general insurance fund, it will fund pensions, it will fund long-term care, etc. Um, the, the focus of attention... Um, despite all the significance of the social security reforms, is obviously on GST. And one of the big fears is that once you introduce it, it'll inevitably go up in future. Clearly, you can't bind future states to say that they can't raise it at all. But um, are you personally confident that a rate of 5% is uh, sustainable in the long term and that it will will, uh, realise the solutions that are required? Uh, I I can't say for sure. It, it depends on how the states behave, and it depends on external factors they have no control over. I mean, if longevity keeps going up and uh, the demographics change even more, then something will will have to shift. Now, it doesn't have to be GSD. It could be income tax. It could be cutting spending, although that would be painful as well. Um, I, I'm confident that for the foreseeable future, this will um, settle our immediate fiscal problems for the next sort of five, ten years. Uh, beyond that, I mean, I just think that the future is, is too uncertain and it will be a fool to say that I absolutely promise that nothing can change. Um, you know, we may need, we may find that the whole world moves towards a different system of minimum corporation tax. So that may be the way extra money comes in uh, down the road. But if that doesn't happen and we're competing against other places with rock bottom uh, corporation taxes, then it may really was still uh, there's only income tax and consumption tax and property tax that are left on the table there may be some unpalatable decisions for my successors um, so i'm not going to 
make a promise that, that um, I won't probably around to defend it, but that, but that I know now is, is not absolutely certain to be kept. Because um, one, one, um, one of the advantages from an economist's point of view, and we've spoken to Dr. And, Dr. Andy Sloan about this, the former state's economist, and we've heard the same argument from uh, Beth and Haynes, the state's treasurer. Uh, um, if you have a GST, you're broadening the tax base. It's an extra lever to have yeah. without having to hammer um, the same group of income earners all the time to, from which to raise money. And that group is going to dwindle comparative mm. to the overall population. Um, but the implication of that inevitably is that, you know, the, the only the only reason why you want that extra lever is so that you can crank it up. And and uh, this is what pe- retailers, especially hospitality, tourism, etc., are really terrified of the idea that we're going to fast forward a dozen years and it'll be 15 percent, 20 even, like it is in the Isle of Man. That, and that isn't the only reason why you want the extra lever. You want to broaden the tax base so that it is more robust as well as the fact that you've got more levers to pull if you do need more money. So, for instance, if at the moment, because we raise an enormous amount of our revenues from income-related um, taxes, if you hit a, a period of economic difficulty, whether it's world economic downturn or a pandemic or whatever, and employment falls and people's income falls, just from the time that the um, government probably needs to step in and actually spend more money in order to help the situation, their ability to do so goes south because they're, you know, they're taking in far less money. So actually having other sources of money does actually help that. But also it's a fairness thing. We know the relationship between wealth and income is not as strong as you may think. Of course, people who've got a higher income are better off than people with low incomes generally, but there are people who are really quite wealthy by anybody's terminology, but have either arranged their fares or it just happens to develop this way that their actual measurable income is quite low and therefore they are enjoying all of the benefits of living in Guernsey and the services without contributing very much towards it. Now, GST isn't the only way that you could tackle that, but the only other way really would be wealth taxes, which would really scare the horses and really make Guernsey uncompetitive against some of our competitors. And it's precisely on that note, which which has been repeated many times, but I don't tend to hear it in the pub very often. It's not yeah. one of the messages that's getting through that, that uh, enables this whole suite of uh, proposals from PNR and yourself yeah. um, to act as a redistribution of wealth effectively, yeah. isn't it? And, and, and I mean... Are you surprised in some ways that, that with your participation on the on this tax review panel, you've been able to get to a point where Policy and Resources is proposing such a major redistribution of wealth? I am, and I've been like a broken record in trying to advocate for that, and at every turn I've been looking at ways to achieve that. I mean, I came in very sceptical against GSD because GSD in itself is regressive. Not hugely aggressive, but it is slightly regressive simply because those on low incomes have to spend all of their incomes to live, and therefore... A 5% GST is like a 5% tax on all of their earnings. Somebody on £100,000 a year may only be spending 50000 on their living and, and save, putting others into savings to pensions to whatever else. It impacts them to a smaller... They pay more GST, but as a percentage of their income, they pay less. So it, I was only willing to support it if we could really put together a package that was redistributive. And uh, I'm really pleased we've been able to do that. And partly that's because... Despite the rhetoric, and Deputy Parkinson saying there's far too much on households and not enough on business, uh, actually where this package goes is to put a minority of the increased contributions, the increased state finances 
on households. Only 20 odd million is on households. Far more is on businesses that have gained under zero ten, and uh, and then the, the the high income households are going to be paying. Really, not just a little bit more, but very considerably more. I mean, I think there was an example uh, put on the screen at that not very well attended meeting last night that showed, um, you know, somebody, a, a couple on 170,000 a year, and there are people on that, would be paying between five and six thousand pounds a year extra towards the state's coffers. So it is by really making sure that those with the broader shoulders are paying more that we've been able to achieve this and that was that was a 3.3 percent increase in their tax burden overall wasn't yeah it? um i i want to ask finally um a, a question based on a letter that we had in uh, this week uh, by martin torrode um he was talking about integrity and honesty in government yep. and pointing out that uh, very many of the proponents of this suite of proposals from PNR and yourself uh, had said before the last election that uh, they were against GST and had described it as mm. as regressive now you've explained that you know in isolation it is but you've got these other mitigating measures uh, put in place but um, the point that he was making was that if you do find yourself uh, completely turning around on a particular issue um, for perfectly good reasons perhaps um, then uh, you should be obliged to give up your uh, uh, seats as deputies and then seek to be re-elected through the by-election that results uh, with your new uh, ideas and your new priorities uh, properly espoused to the electorate what do you make of that argument? Well, I can only speak for myself here. And at the last election, I was making clear to anybody that wanted to listen that taxes were going to need to go up in, uh, during this political term. It wasn't a particularly popular message. I sat on hostings where everybody was saying the opposite. Um, but I knew the situation. I knew there wasn't the fact that people claimed there was and all these pen pushers and bean counters sitting around. It just wasn't true. So I was very much sending the message that we needed to increase states' revenues if we wanted to protect vital and precious public services and there was nothing in my manifesto about gst but i was and i confess asked one of the welter of questions that came through i think this one came through the guernsey press system asked what i thought about gst and i said that i didn't like gst because and it was very clear because it was regressive in nature uh and therefore i would there's no way i would uh, support its introduction uh as a standalone because that would be the net effect but this is absolutely the opposite. Um, I didn't like it because it was regressive. This is progressive in the extreme. This is really, you know, part, a big part of my political motivation is trying to help people in Guernsey, which is an expensive place to live, on lower incomes. This is this package is significant assistance to people on lower incomes they are going to be much better off it is absolutely consistent with not only what i've said at the last election but election after election uh, all the time in between um but i mean i i am an odd political fellow traveler with pnr over this i think uh i'd say pnr and i have probably been at odds on just about everything in this assembly uh i don't like many of the things that they've done i don't like the way they've trampled over committee mandates try to centralize power in themselves i disagree with them philosophically on many different issues um but you know i've always said i i, I don't approach politics tribally I, I, I approach it issue by issue and i owe my judgment to the people of guernsey my judgment 
to the people in, in this particular case is that unless we raise significant extra revenues in the face of changing demographics, sorry to sound like a broken record, we are going to do really structural damage to our key services. People say that's scaremongering. It's not. It's my honest assessment of the situation. Uh, and if people find that that's a lack of integrity, you know, they'll, they'll have to judge me accordingly. We're just a week away now from the debate. Are you relishing the process of it or are you pretty much sick of it by now? I, I, I've hated it from day one. Uh, <laughs> when I was invited to go on the tax and social security review panel, I thought, oh, heck, that's uh, that's something I could do without, uh, something I could do with like a hole in the head. But, you know, you're not in politics to, uh, you're paid to do the difficult stuff, to do the stuff that you don't like at times. And uh, no, I'm not relishing it. I really fear, as I feared throughout, that the states would bottle it, as the last states did as well, really, uh, and uh, leave it to somebody else to sort out uh, down the road. I really hope that's not the case. I will be arguing strongly um, that we shouldn't take that approach. Um, but that does seem to be an endemic attitude in the states at the moment. Really hope I'm wrong on that. Well, Deputy Peter Roffey, thanks for taking time out to uh, join us at the Guernsey Press today. Very welcome. <laughs>